0: Good morning to the church at Lawrence. I hope that we are like John was on the Isle of Patmos, where he found him to be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I hope that we're in the Spirit today, the Lord's Day. There's a picture on the entry back here on the wall of Jerusalem. Now, I've never been to Jerusalem, but I'm sure that some of you have been there, and kind of know what some of those spots were that are pictured there. But will you go back with me for just a moment and we'll visit that site on Galgotha Hill. Jesus has been tried, found innocent, and condemned to death. Condemned to die. They've taken him up on the hill, and they're preparing him for the, place him on the cross. The Roman soldiers are probably, find this very humorous, that here's, the Jews are fighting over this simple man, insignificant, from Galilee, from Nazareth. And they are probably think, this is very humorous. We are the Romans. We rule the world. And here, they're concerned about this simple person claiming to be a king. It was probably silly to them. And the Jews, the, the leaders of the Jewish faith at that time were probably around there too and they're looking up and they're looking and watching this and they're thinking finally we've put this man out of our life finally we're going to finish this conflict that we've had with this jesus of nazareth and he will not be a problem to us any longer they were probably looking at this and saying the romans were looking at this and thinking how can this simple man be of any importance to the world. Two names that are probably the most popular names and known probably by more people in the world today than any other two names. One is Coca-Cola and the other is Jesus Christ. What impact will he have on the world were you there when he when they nailed him to the cross were you there when they spread him out on that cross that tree laid him out took the, the Roman nail with the big mallet or the hammer and whatever it was that they used to drive that in drove that nail into his hands tearing through the flesh and into the tree, securing him one hand, and then the other, and then the feet, securing him to that cross. Were you there when they nailed him to that tree? What was God thinking? What was God the Father thinking? Here, I have given this world my son my only son, because of my love for them. And they have nailed him to a cross. What was Jesus thinking? Jesus could have called 10,000 angels and destroyed the world. What was he thinking? And they rose the cross up and and Jesus was nailed on the cross and they secured it into the ground and he hung there. And of course he's looking at the, at the people down below him and, and they're wagging their heads and they're just celebrating that they have been victorious. Were you there when Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do probably saved mankind by that request
1: to his father.
0: Were you there when Jesus cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus was all alone
1: on that cross.
0: His disciples had scattered And Jesus was all alone. And even for a moment, He felt that God had abandoned him. Were you there when he, at the moment he cried, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit? Were you there when Jesus said, It is finished. And he bowed, and his earthly life departed from him. Sometimes, sometimes this causes me to tremble. When was the last time that this story brought a tear to your eye? So why are we gathered here today? Why are we here today? Well, we have the we have the loaf. And we have the the fruit of the vine. Jesus said in John the sixth chapter, he told his followers, "Unless you eat my flesh, and drink my blood, you have no life." Well, what kind of a request is this? How can I how can we eat your flesh? This is like craziness. This is like how how can this be? Jesus what what are you talking about? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. We're not going to eat your flesh and drink your blood. What did he mean by that? Well, in Matthew the 26th chapter and beginning there in the 26th verse, Jesus explains this. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take eat. This is my body. So that's how we eat his flesh. This loaf that has been prepared is the body of Christ, is the flesh that he was talking about. And this and likewise as the And he took the cup, and he gave thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is the blood of the the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. We eat the body of Christ, and we drink the blood of Christ that we might have life. But you know, As the song suggests, we serve a victorious Jesus Christ. We serve a living king. We don't serve a dead and buried king. We serve the living one, the one that rose on the third day, that came forth from the grave, victorious over death and over life, and he did that that he might take our sins away. We gather here today that we might Eat this bread and drink this cup, that we might have life. Austin, would you have the prayer for the both, please?
2: Father in heaven, I come to you in prayer at this time thanking you for the time that we've been able to come together in fellowship and for this main purpose to come and to pay our respects that you have requested and remember the death of your son and also the resurrection of your son which gives us the, the grace and forgiveness that you promised us. Father, even with all of the other things going on in our minds and other plans for today father please help us to put those things aside in our mind and to truly focus on what is at hand at this time father i pray this prayer in your son's holy
1: name amen there god
2: go Thank you once again for allowing us to come here this morning to worship and praise you. Thank you for the many blessings you give us each and every day. Bless this cup now as we pass it
1: in remembrance
2: of Jesus' blood on the cross. Please forgive us of our sins and in Jesus' name we pray.
1: Amen.
0: The memorial service to Christ is now concluded, but we are reminded that we have other uh, responsibilities and opportunities, and that is to return a portion of our of what we've been uh, blessed with, to return that back to God, and of course. Uh, First Corinthians, the 16th chapter, and the 2nd verse that uh, calls us back on the first day of the week to lay by him in store as we have been prospered. And that's our authority. That's our authority for doing this. There will be no collection plates, but there is a box in the back that where you can uh, make your offerings or your contribution. But I like to go to Malachi, the 3rd chapter, and the 10th verse. It's one of my favorites, I think, in considering this giving, in Malachi 3 and 10. It says, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out to blessings, that there shall not be enough room to receive it. As we prepare our minds to purpose in our hearts, let us remember that the blessings are going to come from our purposing and laying by and, con- and contributing to the work of the church here at Lawrence and wherever you meet. Thank you very much.
2: On the thankful side of our ledger this morning for giving thanks for a prayer request time, we customarily and always give thanks for Jesus. We're thankful for our evangelists and we pray for their continued success, their support, and for their families as many times they are separated by their choice of profession. We have several home Bible studies in the within the congregation for which we are thankful and hope that those continue and encourage each one to attend or to uh, initiate a home Bible study. And th- today we're especially thankful for the meeting and we're thankful for those who have chosen to be here. That was a choice that you made and we appreciate that choice and we hope that it has been a blessing to you. On the concerned side, we are concerned for the lost, and we hope that our concern for them will urge us into ac- action for the lost, to ta- carry the gospel to them, tell them that a Savior has died for them. And our prayer also is for those who are traveling. We are, first of all, thankful for those who have traveled safely to our meeting, and we pray for a safe journey to your home destination as you return And for those who are in the military, our prayers are for them. And for Edelweiss this morning, and she has a fever, so that takes uh, not only her, but Grace and Hiram uh, out of our attendance this morning, so our prayers are with them. I will ask for uh, the visitors here, since our members are aware of what we're doing here, do any of our visitors have special requests or special thanks that you would like to have us considered this morning. Glenn. Dickerson, are there others? Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we stand before you through your Son, Jesus, and in his name we come to you in prayer, knowing that he is there mediating, interceding for us. We come to you realizing that we are human, and yet you have allowed us to come into your presence and that you have been in our presence this morning and that you are in our presence. Help our conduct and our association this morning to reflect the regard that we have for you and for your son. May we eliminate the world around us this morning as we are gathered within these four walls with brothers and sisters who are of the same mind and of the same faith and of the same conviction that Jesus is our Lord and that he died for us. We're thankful that there are men who are willing to spend their time and their efforts in full-time preaching that gospel. We ask that you would be with them, strengthen them, support them, be with their families as many times they are separated. We're thankful for the local home Bible studies and we pray that these might continue and might bring fruit to honor your name with glory. We're thankful for the meeting today and yesterday and for this feast of spiritual food which has been prepared for us. May we know more about you through the study of this Queen Esther and of Mordecai and of Haman. And of the King, and those involved in this story, may each character be used by us in the proper manner, positively or negatively, that we will build upon those positive things and that we will eliminate those negative things. Our concern, dear Father, is that we can take this story of salvation to those who are lost, give us strength, give us courage, give us the opportunity to share with them the story of the Savior who died for them. We're thankful for the safe travels of those who have chosen to be with us today and yesterday, and we ask, your Father, that your hand of guidance and protection be with them as they leave this place and go to their homes, and as they go to their home congregations, may things that they have learned here be taken and shared with those who were not here. We're always aware of those who are in a uniform in the armed services, the armed forces of our nation. We ask that you would protect them, be with them as they are separated from their families, be with those who have been injured. We ask for a speedy and total recovery for them, if it is your will. Comfort those who have lost loved ones. We pray, dear Father, that you will be with our country and nation, that it might once again, return to be a nation that worships you, honors you, and that praises you as God. We pray that you'd be with Edelweiss and uh, that the fever be taken from her and be with uh, Grace and Kevin as they care for her. We pray that you'd be with Brother Dickerson in his treatments for cancer and in his decision to cease those treatments. We ask your Father for strength for him, for his family and comfort in knowing that he is living a life that is acceptable to you. Be with David as he brings his thoughts to us. Be with us as we sing and praise you in song. Come to you in prayer. We're thankful for the observance of the Lord's Supper, for the opportunity to give as we have been prospered. Guide us in all things that it may be done to glorify you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.
1: Amen.
3: As we prepare to hear about uh, such a time as this, may we always be reminded that uh, things occur in God's time, and he will make certain that his purposes are accomplished. 839, In His Time.
4: In His time, in His time, He makes all things beautiful in His time. Lord, please show me every day as you're teaching me your way that you do just what you say in your time. In your time. In your time. In your time. things beautiful in your time. Lord, my life to you I bring. May each song I have to sing be to you a lovely thing in your time. Please be seated.
3: Calvin, and I neglected to say before you when you were doing a prayer request or write it down or anything that um, first I'm sure would be appreciated for Don and Margaret Warren. He's an elder up at uh, Dean Avenue where we attend and his wife has dementia and it's gotten really bad and he's no longer going to be able to keep her at home so they're going to move to a uh, assisted living so they can stay together. So Pray for them because it's very difficult on him trying to take care of her. So, hers would be appreciated, I'm sure. I'd like to thank the uh, elders and the congregation here for giving me the opportunity to speak this morning. I'm sitting there thinking, I think this is the very first time I've been the absolute oldest person on to speak at a meeting. I have been I have been years ago, I was the youngest a few times, but being the oldest is a little different to speak, so this is a whole new ball game for me. But my subject is for such a time as this. I have an Esther in my life. No, you don't understand. I have an Esther in my life. Many of you say you have Esthers in your life, but I have not an Esther in my life. My mother's name was Esther. So I, li- I, I literally have an Esther in my life. She's deceased, but she's still in my life. A lot of me is because of her. Not the bad parts. But a lot of me is because of her. A lot of my father is in me too. But my mother's name was Esther. I can't ever read in the book of Esther without thinking of my mother. Because to me, she was a wonderful woman, a god fearing woman. And Queen Esther had a lot of influence on many, many people, especially the children of Israel. But my mother, had a lot of influence on me and on my family. I have my oldest daughter that does remember my mother, her grandmother. And so she, she used to, Melissa, when she was little, she, my parents would come, she'd grab my mom by the hand and take her to the room and we knew what they were doing. She wanted grandma to read books to her. And first, my mother loved that. Unfortunately, my youngest daughter never knew her. Well, either one of her grandfathers, or grandmothers, I mean, for that matter. She never knew either one of them. But, because of Marla, my wife, and myself, I think she does know more about her grandma betters, grandma Esther, grandma Cobb, than she thinks she probably does. The scripture, where it's, For such a time as this is taken from Esther 4 and 14. It says, For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall there enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, that thou, thy father's house, shall be destroyed, and who knowest whither thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? I know we've talked, I I know a lot of people have talked about book of Esther, and things that occurred in the book of Esther, but I just want to take a few minutes here to, to go over some things myself. Mordecai adopted his cousin, Esther, Hadassah, but that's found in Esther 2 and 7, because she was an orphan, and Mordecai, I say Mordecai, that's how I was taught, so it's going to be Mordecai while I'm up here. Okay, so anyway, Mordecai adopted Esther as his own daughter. When young virgins were sought, Esther was taken into the presence of King Ahasuerus and was made queen in place of the exiled Queen Vashti. And as has been pointed out several times, Mordecai told Esther not, not to tell Ahasuerus that she was a Jew. After Esther became queen, Mordecai discovered that two of the king's chamberlain, Bigthan and Teresh, I hope I'm pronouncing those correctly, planned to kill the king. King Xerxes and King Hazarias whatever you want to call him. Mordecai told Queen Esther about their plan, then Queen Esther told the king about this plan also. And Queen Esther made sure that the king knew that this was being communicated to him from Mordecai. Both Bigthan and Teresh were hanged on a tree because of their plot to kill the king. Then we have Haman. Haman had the highest position at court. King Ahasuerus had decreed that all men should bow themselves before Mordecai. I'm sorry, got Should bow themselves before Haman. I kept that in wrong. Sorry. Anyway, Mordecai refused to prostrate or to bow himself before Haman. Haman was upset that Mordecai refused to bow before him Haman decided to have just a wholesale murder, wholesale, wholesale murder of the Jews throughout the Persian empire. He schemed a plan and had King Ahasuerus order a decree so that he could murder all the Jews in Persia. That's how much he did not like him. He couldn't single him out. Didn't think he could do that. So what did he do? He schemed this plan to just, to just kill all of the Jews just because he did not like that one, Mordecai. Anyway, Mordecai communicated this plan to Queen Esther. Queen Esther told Mordecai that she couldn't talk to the king about this because the king hadn't called her in to talk to him. Queen Esther said that if she went into the king's presence without being called then she be put to death. Mordecai um, responded to Queen Esther that she needed to think about all of the Jews, not just herself, all of the Jews. Queen Esther then states that she'll go before the king and if he kills her for going before him Without being called before him, then she dies. So, what Esther does is she goes into the court so that the king can see her from his throne. The king sees Esther and gives her permission to come into him so Esther does not die. But Esther took her own life, possibly possibly risking the chance of death. She, after after her uh, father figure, had told her, you know, you can't just think of yourself. You got to think of the whole, of whole people, all the people. So she did that. She did what he asked. Esther manages to have arms distributed to the Jews throughout Persia, so they are able to fight. And Haman's attempt to have all the Jews in Persia killed fails. So Haman ends up being executed on the gallows that he had erected for Mordecai. You talk about justice being served. Look at the very last chapter of Esther. And who's it, say, has the highest position in the court besides the king? Mordecai. I call that justice being served. So what lessons can we learn from this? Relief and Deliverance Mordecai exhibited a healthy faith in God's sovereign power to preserve his people. Okay, sovereign. What does sovereign mean? Sovereign means greatest in status or authority or power. So Mordecai knew that God was more powerful than any other being. He knew that God was able and willing To preserve his people, the Jews. Maybe Mordecai remembered the Lord's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 3 and Genesis 17 1 through 8. Let me read Genesis 12 3 first. It says, And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and then all, and then ye, all families of the earth, be blessed. Then if we go over to Genesis 17 and 1, it says, And when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me, and be thou perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram. But thy name shall be called Abraham, for a father of many nations, have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed, after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, and for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Okay, can you just imagine being in Abraham's place? He's 99 years old, and the Lord was saying that he was going to give him many offspring? He didn't even really have a family yet, did he? Ninety-nine years old, and here God promises him that he'll have a large family. But not only does he tell him he'll have a large family, he tells them that God would be their God. He's given him a lot. God would be there, in other words, to protect and preserve the Jewish nation. Another lesson that we can get from this is where it says in uh, Esther here, it says, you, and then it says, we'll perish. In Esther 4.13, Mordecai indicated that Esther would not escape or be overlooked because of her prominence. For such a time as this, Mordecai indirectly appealed to God's providential. And what is does providential mean? One word you could use is opportune. So opportune, or it means occurring at a favorable time. In other words, at an opportune time. So anyway, Mordecai indirectly appealed to God, to God's opportune timing. Mordecai felt that Esther was here because of divine intervention. Mordecai felt that a Jew was a queen, was queen at this time for a reason. One of those reasons was to protect and preserve God's people. Mordecai had confidence that Queen Esther had the prominence and influence to help the Jews. i want to talk now a little bit about relating this to us at this time. I want to bring it to the present. We in the church that are older, since I'm the oldest speaker on here, I can talk about the older this time. We in the church that are older have a lot of influence in our local congregations. You don't realize sometimes the the influence that you have in your congregation. Use it wisely. We have many times others that are not only listening to us, but watching us in everything we do. And what happens if you say one thing and do another? They'll say, well, what he's saying isn't that important. Or what she's saying is not, not that important. So why should we do it? They're not doing it. So, watch what we're saying, and watch what we're doing. Use these positions wisely. Be a positive role model for our younger brothers and sisters in Christ. Teach them according to the Word of God. More importantly, live your lives an example, and in this case, I've underlined, example for them. Of how Christian men and women should live, because we never know when those young people are watching and listening to what we're doing and saying. I don't know about the rest of you, but but mm-hmm. when our children were little, you know sometimes we'd be driving along and we would think that you know child or children are back or sleeping, and because we were talking, we hadn't heard anything out for a while, and you say something, and because you think nobody's listening, and all of a sudden, you get a response from the back seat. They're listening. My point is, they're listening. They're watching. When sometimes you don't even realize they're listening or watching. So be careful. Next thing I want to bring up is which is a little difficult. Well, not a little difficult, it's just difficult. I lost my father just recently, just a few weeks ago, on April 7th to be exact. I called, when Calvin called and asked me if he could, um, if I could speak at the meeting, I told him, I said, I would love to. I said, but this is what's going on. Um, Matter of fact, the day of Sam's dad's funeral, the day of Tom's funeral, they started hospice with my dad. And so I, I wanted to go down to the funeral, but I thought, no, I need to be a here because I wasn't sure what was going to happen. He had dementia. And uh, Greg Engel, which is Carl's brother, his doctor, he's my doctor. Anyway, he told me once that family members of dementia lose their loved ones twice. He says you lose them once to the dementia, and then a the second time when that loved one dies physically. So he says, you lose him twice. Now I know what he was talking about. It got to the point where um, my dad,
1: um,
3: over the years, for over months, he's just started getting worse. And for a while, he couldn't remember things current, but I heard stories of the war that I had never, ever heard in my life. He would never, ever talk about the war. Never. And I heard, I was on a trip that, I can't remember if I was taking him to Texas or take, bringing him back from Texas, that he was telling me stories about the war. We should have, I wish I had a tape recorder because he was talking about it. Why was he talking about it? Because that's what he could remember. He could remember things from way back, years ago. He couldn't remember what he'd, eaten for breakfast, but he could remember years ago. So that's what he was sitting there talking about. But dementia is, if if you've ever had it in your family, you know it's a very devastating and it's a cruel disease. It's very difficult to watch your loved one go through the stages of dementia. My dad was a businessman. He was an elder in the congregation at one time. The man had a sharp mind. And this to watch him go downhill, downhill, downhill like this, it, was, it, it just got... It wasn't him. It was it's such a difficult disease. Like I said, he started using his most recent memories first, but then he began, after time, he started losing the older memories. Um, he knew my name for a long time, but eventually he didn't call me by name anymore. I think that he still recognized that I was somebody that was important to him, that loved him, like a family type member, that um, he stopped saying my name after time. But I still tried to go to see him often, just so he'd know that he had a loved one that cared for him and loved him. It was difficult, it was depressing in the last few months when I'd go to see him, because he didn't know me, but... I'm glad I went. I'm glad I continued to go because it was important for him to know that he was still loved and that he had somebody that cared. I have a point in telling you this. Even though I've lost both of my parents now, part of them still lives on in me. Part of them still lives on in me. They taught me good Christian values that will stay with me forever. I was fortunate because I was blessed with two Christian, God-fearing parents. If you have parents that are Christian, God-fearing parents, thank the Lord and thank them for raising you like that. But my parents had a huge influence in my life. We can't all be Esthers and impact an entire nation of people like Queen Esther did. However, I had my mother, Esther. I had my father, Keith, to influence me and my family. Each of us does, does influence those around us. We can be a good influence, We can be a bad influence. We can be a combination of both. It's our individual decision as to what kind of influence we are. Our children, other people's children, friends, brothers, sisters in Christ, neighbors, people we work with, we influence many many people in our lives, so don't ever forget that. Do not ever forget that. Try to influence those around you in the best possible way. Losing my dad means that my wife Marla and I have lost all four of our parents now. And this is something that really struck me when my dad died. Um, I came to the realization that now we We are a part of the oldest living generation in our respective families. And boy, did that happen quickly. That was something that really struck me hard when my dad died. I grieve for my dad, but it's really stuck in my mind. Hey, I'm part of that oldest generation now. It seems unreal, it seems surreal. It's reality. I have some vivid memories that seem like they happened not that long ago. When I was in high school and college, and I don't know if Sam knows it, but his mother and I went to high school together. Um, we were in a band together. She was, you know, remember she was one or two years behind me. But anyway, that's irrelevant. We were in school together and. Um, his dad was the same age as I am, now he's gone. Uh, I remember things from back then. I remember being in a car, uh, well it wasn't my wife at the time, but um, it wasn't even my wife period, but we had a double date with Tom and Loanne, and um, I remember those things. And it doesn't seem like they can be, okay, well, that many years ago. You know, because some of them are so vivid, I can still see it. I can still see Tom and Ann and I and this girl that, well, it was Connie Owens is who it was. It was Craft now, I believe. But anyway, I can just still see us in that car doing stuff together. And I know that some of you here today that are younger, you know, junior high, high school, even college age, think that you have a lot of time But I want you to remember three things. One, time will go much more quickly than you think. Before you know it, you too, if you live long enough, will be the oldest generation. And believe me, it comes faster than you expect. I don't expect to be here at this point in my life. Now. But I'm I'm here. That's what's happened. Second of all, your time on this earth might be shorter than you think. We have examples of this in our church office of Christ, and one fairly recent example is Dylan's Parks. And I know there's others, but a lot of you knew Dylan. He was a, he was young, and everyone thought he had many years left ahead of him in, on this earth, um, but he was in that automobile accident, and his life was suddenly taken away. So we never know how much time we have left on earth. The third thing I want to say on this point, we never know when judgment day will come. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be this week. Next week. Next century. We don't know. We have no idea to know. God doesn't want us to know. So don't try to figure it out. But my point in saying this is always be ready. Be prepared to meet your maker. Because you never know when your time will come. Whether we're old, young, or in between. The end of time, death can come at any time to us. And just remember, old, young, otherwise. We all have an impact on those around us. Use that influence wisely. Do any of you know, or how many of you know what Chipotle is? Chipotle Mexican Grill. You know what Chipotle is. Did any of you eat there? Ever eat there? Any of you ever do carry out? Ever do carry out at Chipotle? A couple of you. Chipotle and Quick Trip are two of my favorite haunts. <laughs> you can ask my family about this. It's true. Have you ever read the sack that you get from Chipotle any of you? I love this. I love this. And I have. I want to read this because it goes in with what I'm going to talk to you about here in a minute. It says, A legend tells of a man who used to carry water every day to his village using two large pitchers to tie it on the other end of a piece of wood which he placed across his shoulders. One of those pitchers was older than the other and was full of small cracks. Every time the man came back along the path to, ha- to his house, half of the water was lost. For years, the man made the very same journey. The young pitcher was always very proud of the way it he- that he did its work and was sure that it was up to the task for which it had been created, while the older pitcher was morbidly ashamed that he could only carry half of its task, even though it knew that it had cracks that were the result of long years of work. So ashamed was the old pitcher that one day, while the man was preparing to fill it up with water from the well, it decided to speak to him. I wish to apologize, because due to my age, you only managed to take home half the water you fill me with, and thus quench only Have the thirst awaiting you in your house. The man smiled and said, When we go back, be careful or be sure to take a careful look at the path. The pitcher did as the man asked and noticed many flowers and plants growing along one side of the path. Do you see how much more beautiful nature is on your side of the road? The man remarked. I knew you had cracks, but I decided to take advantage of them. I sowed vegetables and flowers there, and you always watered them. I've picked dozens of roses to decorate my house, and my children have lettuce, cabbage, and onions to eat. If you were not the way you are, I could never have done this. Then the last line of this says, We all at some point grow old and acquire other qualities and these can always be turned to good advantage. I was sitting in Chipotle eating, and I had also I think Marlon and Kara were both working, it was on a Saturday, but I was sitting there eating and I decided I'm gonna get Chipotle's second ticket on Anita tonight too. I love I love Chipotle, okay? So anyway, I was sitting there and I read this, and it just really hit me, and I thought, when I was getting this lesson, I thought, I can use this. i <laughs> to hang here for just a second, because I want to talk about this. Both pitchers had important tasks to perform. The older, cracked pitcher just didn't realize what an important task he had until it was out in point pointed out to him. I think we can easily draw parallels between these two pitchers and two different aged members of the church. When we're young, we have lots of strength and energy. We have the ability to do lots of work and hold it together, just like the younger pitcher held himself together without cracks. The older pitcher is still able to carry some weight and do tasks, but he has the responsibility of teaching and nurturing others to develop and grow. It's so important for us to teach the younger and help them grow. Titus 2, verses 3 and 4. Aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. We as the older have a responsibility to teach the younger. And I know lots of times when I was younger, I was like, oh, they're trying to tell me another story. Okay, I'll
1: listen to it again.
3: No, we're trying to help. We're trying to save you some from some of the pitfalls that we had when we were growing up. Some some kids listen. Other kids just have to experience for themselves. Or some of them do a combination of both. They listen to part of what you say, but they make mistakes that you try to warn them about. On the other hand, I mean, it's, it's usually a combination of the things, I think. But we all as older have responsibility to teach the young. I retired from my job of 33 years ago, or of 33 years, just a couple of years ago. I'd worked for the state of Iowa for nearly 33 years, and I'd, I was eligible for a full retirement, so I took it. And they had a retirement party for me. Of course, my bosses and coworkers had things to say about me at this party, and um, you know, some of them were such nice things, you're thinking, Oh, no, maybe I should stay. They're saying such nice <laughs> things about me. But, anyway, I'll never forget that the one thing that the lady that had been my immediate supervisor for years said at my retirement party. She said that she'd been impressed by my concern for others and always doing things for others. And that made me feel good that she said that. Now, I'm not... I'm not just trying to toot my own horn up here because I've made a lot of mistakes. You know, even though it might sound like it, I'm not wanting to toot my horn. I'm just wanting to make a point here. When we leave a job or even leave this earthly life altogether, what will people, people remember about us? Hopefully it will be some redeeming Christian qualities and not something bad. After we leave a job or this life altogether, there are certain things that people will remember about us. What will those qualities, characteristics be? Think about that as you live your life. Galatians five twenty two twenty three. 23 this is one good passage in the, in the Bible that tells what some of the good qualities and characteristics are that we should have as a Christian. Galatians 5.22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. I want to move on to my next, another point I have here. I have no idea when I started either. I don't, have no idea how long I've been up here. I'm sorry. Um, another lesson um, says, Think not with thyself more than all the Jews. When Christians are disposed to consult their own ease or safety rather than a good pu- the public good, they should be blamed. Mordecai tells Esther to think of the good of the Jews overall, not just her own good and safety. We as Christians must think of the overall good for the church, not just do things for our own good or sometimes even for our own safety. I don't want to say a whole lot more on this point because I'll tread on Sam's topic this afternoon, which is stand up for Jesus, but I couldn't just go and jump right over it because it's important. It's easy to say, but how easy is it to do, standing up for Jesus, when it could possibly mean physical harm or even death for us? Look at Stephen, who was stoned when he was spreading the gospel to others. Um, Acts seven fifty-eight through 60 tells about that. It says and they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid the, down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this son to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I have a story about an uncle of mine, his name was Darrell Foltz. He was a missionary He was doing missionary work for the Church of Christ um, in Africa. I believe he was in Nigeria, but he'd been in Africa several times because he'd done several missionary trips over there. But he was killed in a gas station by some men robbing the station. He was killed when he was doing what he loved to do, spreading the gospel of Christ. And we have a there's a song in your uh, Faith and Praise songbook, Songs of Faith and Praise songbook. It, the name of it is, is uh, Follow Me. One of the lines in this song says, Oh Jesus, if I die upon a foreign field someday, would be no more than love demands, no less could I repay. No greater love hath mortal man than for a friend to die. Whenever I sing this song now, I think about my uncle Daryl. He was doing what he was passionate about, which is spreading the word of God. His family feels that that's the way he wanted to go, because he was doing the work of the Lord. I'd like to talk now about the best that we can do. The best we can do. Possess the perspective of Mordecai. He wondered whether Esther had been placed in her position by God. Yet he did not presume such was actually the case. I'd like to just mention here that when we're in a position, whether it's a position in the church, position in our job, position in our family as a parent or grandparent, whatever, don't worry if we've been placed in that position for a reason, but use whatever that position is to be the best possible Christian influence that we can be. Whoever we are and whatever we're doing, use that position as a Christian to the, be the best example and light that we can be. Another thing I'd like to mention here, sometimes we have two different choices that we can make. Sometimes there's more than two, but let's say there's, we have two choices. Both of those choices can be scripturally and morally correct decisions. Either choice will be okay. We just have to decide and move on pray about it, meditate on it, to make that decision and move on. For example, let's say that we have a choice of two different jobs. Well, they're, if they're in two different states, two different cities, well, if I'm a doctor, I've been offered a job in two different cities in two different states. Each of those cities have scriptural churches that I can attend, have good schools for my children to attend, offer very good jobs for me as a doctor, and so on and so forth. Neither is a wrong choice. Sometimes we're presented with two choices, but neither one of those choices is a bad decision. So, the bad decision in that circumstance might be taking too much time to make a decision and losing out on both of those jobs. Sometimes God offers us more than one available path to take in this life. Neither one being a bad choice. So just remember that. And remain open to the possibility that the Lord's will might be different than our own. In Romans 1 and 10, making request by if any means now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. And then Acts eighteen twenty one, but bade them farewell saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus sometimes we ask God for an answer and he answers it but we don't realize that he's been that has been answered this can be because we're looking for a totally different answer than what God is giving us for example as a young married couple we might be praying that we can have a baby and expecting our wife to become pregnant God may have a different answer he may already have a baby that's ready for us just waiting to be adopted we have two daughters, one's biological and the other's adopted. And I want to tell you right now, we view each one of those as blessings from God, because they truly are. Another thought on the Lord's will being different than the answers we're looking for—maybe His answer to is this, is plain and simple: No. No is God's answer. We miss that answer sometimes, don't we? You don't want to hear no. You ask for God's answer. No. We can be, only be certain in things pertaining to God's revealed will. Only be certain in things pertaining to God's revealed will. Psalms 40 and 8. It says, I delight to do thy will. Oh my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. There is an uncertainty pertaining to God's permi- permissive will, if... Da, da, da. James 4.15 For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live, and do this or that. Uh, before I move on, I want to talk about free will as opposed to predestination, because I don't want people to get confused on this. As humans, we all have free will. Okay. God has put us on this earth. It's our free will to decide if we're going to follow him or not follow him. We can decide whether we want to follow Christ or not. However, that does not mean that we are predestined. Predestination means that God has already decided whether we're going to be saved or not. We are not predestined. If it's already been determined, predestinated, that we're either going to heaven or hell then it wouldn't matter how we live our lives, would it? We could live our lives as sinfully as we wanted and still be able to get to heaven if we've just been predestined. But we know that this is not the case. Now let me throw something in else in the mix here. Even though we have free will, God is all-knowing. In other words, He knows everything that is going to happen, even before it happens. But although He knows what's going to happen, It doesn't mean that we're predestinated. We still have a free will. I've heard many people confused on this issue. Free will versus predestination and God knowing what's going to happen, but us still having the free will to make our decisions. So I just wanted to bring all this up. We have a free will, but we're not predestinated. In everything, we need to give thanks Philippians 4, six. be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So give thanks for the good things that come our way. Give thanks for the ill things that come our way too, because they can be used for spiritual growth. We can grow by overcoming adversity. If everything were always rosy and perfect, we wouldn't have the growth that we need to have when we have or like we have when we have adversity in our lives. As Christians, we can overcome adversity in our lives, become stronger, and become closer to God. Overcoming adversity makes us better Christians. Adversity can involve overcoming the temptation. And I just wanted to insert a passage that I really like in the scriptures about temptation. I always think of verse in Corinthians where it states that with every... Temptation, there's a way to escape. I called our escape hatch. When we're tempted to sin, look for that escape hatch. Look for our way out of sinning. If a certain adversity involves escaping a, tempta- a temptation, we cannot, or we can find a way not to sin. Because it says, First Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you but such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Leave the ultimate determination of providence to God. Now, what does providence mean? Providence is, first of all, one meaning, the guardianship and control exercised by God. And another meaning for providence is a manifestation of God's foresightful care for his creatures. And it was. Uh, put in my outline here it says we don't need to whittle on his end of the stick and I had to think about that for a while because that wouldn't be terminology that I would myself would be using but in other words trusting God's control of us and in planning our future don't mess in his business we can believe in God's providence without being able to interpretate, interpretate interpret every circumstance God has a plan. God has not revealed this plan to us yet. Therefore we don't know the reason for everything that happens here on earth. We don't need to concern ourselves with trying to find a reason for everything that happens to us or happens on earth. Good things happen to good to or good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. Both. Why did my loved one die when he or she died? Why did they close the plan I'd worked for for twenty some years? before I was able to retire. Who? What? When? Where? Why? How? Not everything is going to get answered for us here in this life. And it doesn't always need to be answered. Now, there are some, answer, think, some things we do have answers to. We not, might not like the answers, but, we, but there are some answers. And one example is that I wrote down here is why did I lose my job? And it, this is an extreme example, but it's getting my point across. Why did I lose my job? Maybe it's because you were doing crappy work. You know? Maybe I was sleeping too much on the job and the po- boss caught me too many times. But, you know, here, as a Christian, I hope we're not doing that. I hope we're doing our best at the jobs and our, we should do our best because we're expected to do our best. For such a time as this, Esther was put in this position of royalty for a purpose. God had raised her up to her royal dignity for this very purpose and none other, than she would be able to save this nation in this crisis. First thing I have here on the, my ending points, it says, when the cause of Christ and his people demand it, we must take up our cross and follow him. Matthew 16, 24 through 26, then Jesus said unto his disciples, if any man will come after me and let him deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will li- save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So sometimes just take up our cross and follow him. Second, when Christians are disposed to consult their own ease or safety rather than the public good, they should be blamed. We talked about Esther not wanting to approach the king because she hadn't been invited. But she went ahead after, after uh, the told her, you know, go ahead and do it. We have many examples in the Bible of how the apostles spread, were spreading the word of God regardless of their own safety. You know, we previously read about Stephen, which is just one of those examples. Third point I have here is langu- language of strong faith. We need to have a language of strong faith, which staggered not at the promise when the danger was most threatening, but against hope, believed in hope. Romans 4:20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to to perform. Fourth point I have here is everyone should consider for what in God has put us in this place where we are, and steady to answer that end, and take care that we do not let it slip. Esther took advantage of the opportunity she had to help her people. Let's not fail to take advantage of the opportunities that we have as individuals to help God's people and His Church. 5. We must do things with earnest prayer and supplication as Esther did, so that we can fare as well and better than Esther did. Because it says in James 5:16, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Pray frequently and pray fervently. I know I've gone over. I apologize. But I just want to end this by saying let's take advantage of the place and time we're in so that we can further the gospel of Christ. Let's be the Christian influences in the world around us that God wants us to be. Okay. Now, we're going to offer an invitation at this time. The invitation is for anyone that would like to be baptized, make public confession of a sin, or would like to place membership with this congregation, whatever your need, please come. We stand and sing the invitation song that's been announced.